Luke chapter 4, we're going to be in verse 1. Verse 1. So we've been in a series called Mountains. Say that with me. Say Mountains Move. Come on. I don't think you had breakfast this morning. You can do better than that. Say Mountains Move. And this morning, I want to speak to you from the subject, Mountain of Temptation Move. Mountain of Temptation Move. Let's read... We're in Luke 4, verse 1. We're going to read verses 1 and 2 for now. It says this. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And there he was tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And so just to set a little context... Jesus has just been baptized in the Jordan River. Many of us are familiar with this story. I'm just laying this as a foundation so that we all have context. Jesus goes to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. And and Jesus has just come from there. The moment Jesus leaves the Jordan River, the Bible says the Spirit of God drove Jesus into the wilderness. Amen? But here's what we need to understand. Is that when Jesus went into the waters of the Jordan... Something significant happened that day. Well, many things significant, but something really significant happened when the Spirit of God, the Bible says, the Spirit of God descended upon Jesus like a dove. Is that right? Not only did it descend upon Jesus, the Gospels tell us that it remained on him. Right? In other words, up until that moment, you know, Jesus was aware of his calling, maybe his family, but this was Jesus's public announcement that his ministry was beginning. The Holy Spirit came upon him and confirmed this was Jesus's unveiling. This was his, basically he, he was introducing himself and God was initiating his messianic ministry. And here's what's interesting. The first thing that happens is that he's driven into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Because let me tell you something, the devil doesn't mess with you until you make a decision. I mean, the devil's not really worried about you much until you say yes. The devil's not really worried about you until you get serious. See, the devil don't care that you just come to church. But he gets serious when you get serious about following Jesus, about saying yes to your assignment. See, you need to understand this too. The Holy Spirit came upon Jesus that day. It's not only, it's not only the heavenly forces that, represent, that, that recognize the anointing. It's not just the angels. The enemy recognizes the anointing too. And he saw the anointing come on Jesus that day. And so he says, you know what I'm going to do? While Jesus is in the wilderness fasting, I'm going to go and tempt him. Because that's what the enemy does. He begins to target you when you start to function in your assignment. He begins to target you when you start to make your, when you make a decision, I'm going to step into what God has called me to do. That's when he starts to pay attention. Are you with me this morning? So the spirit of God drives Jesus into the wilderness. Number one, Jesus has to, you say, well, why, why, would, why would God do that? God, ha, God has to drive Jesus into the wilderness because Jesus has to settle some things before he can move forward. Let me just talk to you for just a moment. There are some things you have to settle before God can elevate you. You know, so many times we wonder, God, you know, 
that I know, I know you've called me. I know you've anointed me. Why haven't I seen the promotion? Why haven't I seen the elevation? Or why haven't I seen the fruition? Or why haven't I seen the multiplication? Why haven't I seen the elevation? It could be in God's grace because if God elevates you beyond what you're ready for, the elevation will destroy you. Before Jesus, listen, before Jesus can step into the ministry, he has to be, te- he has to be tempted and tested because even though he's God in the flesh, he also is very much man. That's why he's the God man. He is both fully God and fully man. Amen. But, but let me tell you, there's another reason why Jesus has to be driven into the wilderness. Obviously Jesus needs to settle some things, but also it's because of his assignment. Someone say his assignment. Because you see Christ goes before us and what he's going to do is where we have failed where we have not succeeded, where we have fallen short, he's going to overcome. And I, 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 before I go any further today, I, I honestly would be remiss if I don't draw these comparisons. I, I want us to see that there's something major happening when Jesus is driven into the wilderness. So Jesus is driven into the wilderness for 40 days. And, and that should sound familiar because that word 40 shows up all over scripture. Am I right? But, 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 but the thing that I want to draw your attention to is remember this, that when Israel was brought out of Egypt, they were brought to the wilderness and, and the Bible says they were there for 40 years. Okay. I want to show you something cool in scripture. Exodus chapter four, verse 22. When, when, when God sends Moses to speak to Pharaoh, he, he tells Pharaoh, he says, say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son. He's my firstborn. Right? So God tells Pharaoh, let my people go. Israel is to me, my child. Are you with me? Okay. Remember, Jesus goes to the Jordan. The spirit says, this is my son. So God tells Moses, tell Pharaoh this. He does. God takes... Israel out of Egypt and where's the first place Egypt goes through? They have to go through the waters. Then when they get through the waters, where's the first place God leads them to? Into the wilderness. Is this starting to sound familiar? But here's the thing. When they got to the wilderness, they were there for 40 years. That trip was not supposed to take very long, but they ended up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years because the Bible says that after God took them out of Egypt and he brought them through the Red Sea, amen, and he brought them into the wilderness and he tells us he brought Israel to the wilderness to test their hearts. And we know the story. Israel fails miserably. Actually, if you remember that it wasn't long till they got out of Egypt and got through the, the Red Sea. You, you, you just picture this for a moment. God, after 400 years of bondage, God delivers them. They, they brings them to the sea. He parts the sea. But the moment they get into the wilderness, the complaining begins. Am I right? Some of you are looking at me like I'm making this up. This is in the Bible. This is in your word. The complaining begins. Immediately... And and we know the story. 
In, in, in those 40 years, Israel re- continuously repeat patterns of unbelief, of disobedience. It got so bad. It got to the point where God finally said, I've had it. He said, no one over the age of 20 is going to enter the promised land ex- except for Caleb and Joshua. And the only reason why Caleb and Joshua were allowed, because the Bible says they were of a different spirit. So here's what, so, so just like Israel had to go through the waters and they were brought to the wilderness and they were there for 40 years, they failed. Now Jesus is brought to the water and when he comes out of the water, he is going to the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. Do you know why? Because all of Israel's history is finding its fulfillment in Christ. Christ, where Israel has failed, you see, because all along God's been telling Israel, I'm going to send you a Messiah. I'm going to send you a deliverer. He's going to deliver you from your sins. And the first place Jesus begins, he goes, where your forefathers, where your ancestors, where we have failed, he's going to succeed. And before he can go any further, he has to settle something with the devil. Because the Bible actually says this of Israel in the wilderness. It says that they were overthrown in the wilderness. And so Jesus is about to begin his ministry to deliver Israel. And the enemy says, I'm going to go. And you know what? I'm going to do to him what I did to his ancestors. I'm going to overthrow him. He thought he was going to overthrow Jesus, but Jesus was going to overcome him. Amen. So when Jesus comes out of the waters, he's anointed to be Messiah, but he's going into the wilderness because he represents he represents the true Israelite, the, the true begotten son of God that where others, where we have failed, he's going to succeed. But you know what? There's another parallel here that goes back even further. It actually, this, the reason why Jesus had to be tempted, it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. That's why I say that Jesus and the devil had unfinished business. Because if you'll remember, all of this started with a temptation. And we're going to read that in just a second. But remember, so Jesus is not just the the, the redeemer of Israel. The Bible says that Jesus is called the second Adam. So when Jesus gets anointed, if he's going to be the second Adam, he's got to overcome and, and, and he's got to defeat the temptation that first caught up and tripped up the first Adam. If he's going to succeed, he's got to, he's got to overcome where they failed. And so that's why whenever Jesus gets anointed, not the devil, the Holy spirit that says the spirit drove Jesus to the wilderness because he says, you know what? Let's deal with, let's go ahead and finish this unfinished business. God allowed Satan to tempt Jesus because Jesus had to settle some things and he had to overcome the temptation so that he could bring us victory. Because here, hear me, friend, listen to me. You need to hear this real clear today. Unless Jesus deals with Satan, you and I don't have a chance. Unless he gets victory, we're toast. We've tried. For thousands of years, we tried. And Jesus said, okay. So the spirit drives them into the wilderness. Because where Adam and Eve failed, Jesus is going to get victory. Where Israel failed, Jesus is going to get victory. Because you have to understand something. The enemy wants to derail your faith. The enemy wants you to fall into sin. The enemy wants you to compromise your integrity. He wants you to be just like Israel. You have a promise on your life, but he wants you to disobey God. He wants you to fall into unbelief. He wants you to compromise everything that God has given you. 
But Christ says, you know what? No, no, no. I'm going to go before you. You can't do it. You are no match for Satan. You're no match for the flesh. You're no match for the lust of the flesh. So he goes, you know what? I'm going to go before you and I'm going to get victory so that when we face the same thing, you can have victory in me. Are you with me? That's why Hebrews chapter 14 says this. Verse 14. It says, uh, no, verse, yeah, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So trust me, it, that, that's good news, friend. That means that there's no weakness you have and no temptation that you're facing that Christ himself didn't go before you and face and got victory ahead of you. Someone say amen. But here, I want us to see, let's turn to Genesis chapter three. I just want us to see a few things. I want us to see how the enemy works. And then I want to talk about some strategies on how we overcome temptation. Is that okay? Are you guys with me? Genesis chapter three. We know the story. Verse one. It says, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now, first and foremost, let's stop right there. The enemy does the same thing every time. He is cunning, but he is not creative. He's been using the same tricks for thousands of years. And let me tell you what usually he does first. He did this with Adam, and we're going to see he tried to do it with Jesus. He, he goes to Adam and Eve. And he tells Eve, he says, has God said you shouldn't eat of every tree? Notice the emphasis on has. Oh, he knew. He knew God told him not to. He's trying to get them to question what God said. The first thing Satan always does is to get you to doubt what God has already spoken to you. Has he said? Are you sure? Eve said, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat, nor shall touch it, lest you die. But listen to what Satan says. Satan said, the serpent says to the woman, you will not die. See, the first thing Satan does is he will try to plant a seed of doubt. He will try to get you to doubt what God has already spoken. The second thing he will give you, he will give you a word. I said a word. Someone say a word. See, God's got a word for you, but so does the devil. The devil will give you a word that's contrary to what God has said. So over here, has he? Did he? Are you sure he said you can't eat? Yeah, we can't eat. He said we'll die. You will not die. No, you won't. Listen to this. Deception. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so he plants this seed of, 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 of manipulation and, and, and he's tempting, right? And she's falling for it. And this is what it says. So when the woman saw, someone say saw, that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the 
eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave it to her husband and he ate. Friends, I'm here to tell you, when it comes to temptation, no matter how you slice and dice it, it can be traced back to this. First John chapter two, verse 16. For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. Come on, you know this scripture. And what? The pride of life. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So here's what, here's what Satan did. He's very cunning, but he's not creative. He does it every time. He gets them to doubt what God said. Then he convinces them that God lied. And, and then you know what's crazy is? He convinced them that they needed something apart from what God had already supplied. Every, if you pay attention to deception, deception is always tied to a perception of lack. Satan will make you feel like what God said and what God gave is not enough. He will make you doubt what God has spoken and he will try to twist and manipulate and make you feel like you have to go outside of the will of God to get what you need. Uh, let me put it another way. In, in, in one way, s- s- tem- what temptation is, it's the, uh, it's the temptation to meet a legitimate need with an illegitimate, in an illimi- Ill- Ill- illegitimate way. Tongue-tied. Ugh. He will get us to feel a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. And he convinced them that what God has said was not true. But notice this. Once she took in what he said, all of a sudden, she saw it. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. She said, man, that that fruit does look good. Are you with me this morning? It sure does look good. And she ate it. And we know the story. The Bible says that all of a sudden they were aware of their nakedness and they immediately began to get fig leaves to cover them. Now turn with me to Luke chapter four, verse one. Luke chapter four, verse one. Then Jesus, right? We already read that part. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days, he ate nothing. And afterward, when he, they had ended, he was hungry. Listen to this. Here's, here's the first temptation. And the devil said to him, if, someone say if, if you are the son of God, Command these stones to become bread. Okay, what did he do with Adam and Eve? Did God say you shouldn't eat of the tree? And here he comes to Jesus. What's the first thing? If you're the son of God. Because you you have to remember, Jesus has just come from the waters of Jordan. The last thing God said to him was, you are my beloved son in who I'm well pleased. So So what does Satan do? The first thing Satan does is he tries to sow a seed of doubt with Jesus. If you're the son of God, you notice that? Satan is always trying to undermine the word of God. He is always trying to undermine what God has spoken. And the first thing he does is his if. Satan knows what's up. He knows there's no if, but he'll tell you if. Are you sure? Are you sure you are who who God says you are? He says, turn these stones to bread. 
turn these stones to bread. This is what Jesus says. But Jesus answered him saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So the devil was doing with Satan what he did with Eve. He first tried to get her to doubt what God had said. He tries to get Jesus to doubt. Then he gives, he gives Jesus a word contrary to what God said. He says, go ahead, command these stones to become bread. But Jesus said, no, Satan, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You have to understand. So what this temptation is about, it's about the lust of the flesh. Because if you'll remember, and this is what's so powerful, when Jesus says man shall not live by bread alone, he's quoting the book of Deuteronomy. He's actually referencing back to when Israel was hungry in the wilderness. Do you remember this? And they begin to complain. And God said, I'm going to feed you with manna. And he told Israel, I've tested you to see if you would understand that you shouldn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Let me make it plain. In other words, Israel was fine while God was splitting the sea and making everything happen. But the first inclination and the first uh, temptation of their appetite and the lust of the flesh. The minute for a second, they had only been hungry for five minutes, but they already started to doubt God. They'd only been out of Egypt for a few minutes, get outside, get into the wilderness. It only took a few minutes. They got a little hungry and they began to doubt God. And that's why Jesus said, Israel gave in to the lust of the flesh. So when Jesus is standing there, you have to understand Satan is trying to tempt Jesus. And Jesus says, no. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You see, again, he was hungry. See, the enemy comes. He, he comes when you're hungry. He comes when you're desperate. He comes when you're weak. And here, here you go. Jesus has a legitimate need. Jesus is hungry. And what Satan is doing, he's doing it yet again. He's trying to get Jesus to, to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. You don't, you don't need to follow what God said. You don't need to do it God's way. Just turn these stones to bread. And what Jesus said, no, no, Satan, where Israel failed, they depended upon their flesh. They failed in their flesh. I'm going to pass this test. I'm hungry. I'm weak, but man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth. In other words, this, you don't have to succumb to every temptation of the flesh, every inclination and lust of the flesh, but the enemy will look for opportunities. He'll look when you're weak. He'll look when you're hungry. He'll look when you're desperate. The lust of the flesh. That's what feels right. And Satan will make you feel like you have to go outside of the will of God to get it. Amen. What's crazy is this, is that God had already told Israel, I'm going to take care of you. But the lust of the flesh kicked in. Temptation number two, verse five says this. Then the next temptation, the devil taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in one moment. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you. And their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I can give it to whoever I wish. Listen to this. Therefore, worship me, and all of this will be yours. This is the lust of the eyes. Satan takes Jesus up on this mountain and shows him the king, kingdoms of the world, right? Here's what's crazy. Satan says, worship me, 
And all of this is yours. Satan is trying to offer real estate that doesn't belong to him. Because it says in the book of Psalms, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. As a matter of fact, check this out. It says of the nations, they are the inheritance of Jesus. Listen, so so Satan comes and he says, all of this will be yours. (laughs) That's... This is, this is where he's clever and dumb at the same time. He will tempt you with, with what is already yours in God. But he will try to get you to compromise and take the easy way out. Because you see, Jesus, the nations are his inheritance. But guess what? Jesus is called to carry a cross and go to Calvary. But Satan says, no, no, no. Take the easy way out. Take the shortcut. Follow, worship me and I'll give it to you. And he says, no, no, no. Listen to what Jesus said. He said this. Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone you shall serve. You see, because he was called to care, he was called to go to Calvary. Calvary was going to be the way he got victory. But the enemy tried to tempt him to sell out and to worship and, and, to, and, to, and to forfeit his assignment. You, you remember Israel? Moses had only been up the mountain a number of days already. They got impatient and they began to build a calf. Israel failed this test miserably. While Moses was up on the mountain, they began to build a golden calf and worship it. You know why? They got impatient. They said, you know what? We don't like this. We'd rather do it all away. Where's Moses at? But Jesus said, where you have failed, I'm going to overcome this temptation. I'm not going to take the easy way out. I I said, I submitted to God in the Jordan. I'm going to the cross. All of this is going to be my inheritance anyway. Get behind me, Satan. It is written. You shall not worship anyone but the Lord, your God. But here, this also speaks to something else. Ultimately, what he wants to do is steal your worship. He wants to steal your worship. I got to hurry. I'm running out of time. Temptation number three. Then he brought him to Jerusalem. So we saw the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. Here we're going to deal with the pride of life. He brings him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple. And he said, if you, here he goes again. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down. See, and now the devil is pulling out another tool in his toolbox. Sometimes we forget that the enemy knows the Bible very well. As a matter of fact, the the devil knows the Bible more than most Christians. I, I don't actually mean that unkindly. It's just a fact. So what he does is this whole time he's tempting Jesus. He he's tempting Jesus and Jesus is just spitting scripture. So here's what Satan does. Okay. I, I know some scripture. Satan says, Throw yourself down for the, it is written. He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands, they shall bear you up. Lest you dash your foot against the stone. See, Satan knows the Bible, but Jesus knows it better. (laughs) And, and, and what, what Satan was doing, because the Bible does say he will give his angels charge over you. But what he was doing was he was misapplying and, and he was twisting scripture to get Jesus to do something that he knew was wrong. And, 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 and this, 
this quote, when Jesus says this, he goes, he answered him and said, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord, your God. This is a direct reference back in Deuteronomy. The Bible says that Israel tempted God. There was a day where they got thirsty and they couldn't find water. Do you remember this? And they got so agitated. They said, you know what? If God's not going to give us water, we're going to go our own way. That's the pride of life. And so what Satan was trying to get Jesus to do was to, was to force God into a situation where Jesus was going to tell God what he was going to do. And God was going to have to rescue him. He was going to throw yourself down. So in other words, Jesus is going to get up there. Hey God, I'm going to throw myself down and you're going to rescue me. But he, he turned to Satan and said, no, 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 no. It is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. In other words, what he's resisting is the urge of the pride of life to think that we can do it better than God. That we can go our own way and make our own decisions outside of the will of God. But here's good news. First Corinthians chapter 10 verse 12. I got five more minutes. Can I preach? Are you guys with me? First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. He's warning against pride. No, but he says this. No temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted Beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So what Jesus did, Jesus knew we weren't no match for the devil. So he went before us in every place that we would fail. He succeeded and he's empowering us now. And he says, listen, there's no temptation that's going to overtake you where there's not a way out of it. There's not, we can speak, we can overcome the mountain of temptation, but I, I, I want, I want to show you this. Number one, of course, our victory is in Calvary. Our victory is in Christ. Our victory is in the authority of his name. But not only do we have victory in Jesus in terms of holistically, he actually shows us a pattern to follow. Okay. So in our last five minutes, this, we've seen how the devil works, but this is what Jesus did. And this is what we do in the face of temptation. Amen. This is what James chapter four, verse seven says. He says, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Listen, he didn't say go fight the devil. He said, what? Submit to God. Someone say submit to God. Not only are we supposed to submit to God when we're facing temptation or trials or temptation. Here's what I would say say to you today. Why wait till temptation comes to submit? Yes, submit to God in temptation. But listen, submit before temptation ever shows up. Submit before testing ever comes up. Submit before trials ever show up in your life. You, you, you understand that before Jesus gets to the wilderness, he's already submitted to God. Because when Jesus goes into the waters of the Jordan, do we understand what he's doing? He's the God man, but he steps into the water and he tells John, John, baptize me. John says, I can't baptize you. You baptize me. He said, no, John, baptize me so that we can fulfill righteousness, right? 
In other words, Jesus is going into the waters. He's not repenting of anything. He hasn't committed any sin. He's going in the waters to accept his assignment. He's going to carry the sins of the world. He's going to put the sins of the world on his shoulders. He's going to carry. So when he goes into the waters, Jesus is actually submitting himself to God. So by the time Jesus gets to the wilderness, the issue of submission's already been worked out. Sometimes, like, can I preach? I'm going to tell you my concern in, in modern Christianity that's foreign to the scriptures. Everybody wants a savior. Everybody wants forgiveness. Everybody wants empowerment. Everyone wants blessing, but not a lot of people want the lordship of Jesus Christ. You don't just get Jesus, your savior. You get Jesus, your Lord. And, and, and I'm, I'm just here to say there, you know, this, this concept of just knowing Jesus as savior is foreign to the Bible because you can have Jesus as savior, but if you're not submitted to him, you're not submitted to his rulership. You're not submitted to his, to under his authority. The devil's going to have a field day with you because you're in one day and out the other day. You're like what James says. You're a double minded person and you're unstable in all your ways because day by day, you don't know who you're submitted to. One day it's your field feelings. One day it's what you've heard. You've got to make up in your mind. I'm submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The second thing is the Bible says that Jesus was full of the spirit. I said, we're no match for Satan without Christ. And that's still true. That's why he's given you his spirit. That's why he says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the I can do all things. And so the Bible says that Jesus was full of the spirit. I don't, I know I don't need to preach on this long, but please, please don't, don't you even attempt to overcome temptation or trials without relying on the power of the Holy spirit. If you are relying on, on your own flesh, on your own ability, no, no, no. God has empowered you with the spirit of Christ, with the very spirit of God, the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. He has not left you ill-equipped. He hasn't left you to your own strength. He's empowered you with the spirit. And if Jesus needed the Holy spirit, how much more do we Amen. I know I don't have to, I don't have to harp on that, but here, here, here's what I've come to say. Now, point number three, and I'm about to close. Are you with me? I mean, I'm closing. The third thing that Jesus did, and we've, that we really need to take notice of is that every time Satan tempted Jesus, Jesus responded with, it is. Okay. Let me make it plain. Satan's goal is to get you to doubt what God said, doubt what God has written. And that's why Jesus demonstrates when, when Satan comes to him and tempts him, the first thing he does is, Hey, it is written. In other words, this, when Satan came and tempted Jesus, Jesus didn't say, Hmm, that's interesting. Well, I think, or I feel he didn't even give it. He didn't even wait a second. He didn't even hesitate. He didn't get into his feelings. He didn't get into his own thinking. He didn't get into his opinion. He said, it is written. It is written. He called on the authority of scripture. The God man who was in submission to God called on the authority of scripture to speak. Here, friends, I'm sorry. I I promise I'm not trying to be on a, on I'm not trying to harp today, but there's another trend that's bothering me in modern Christianity. It's this low reverence and lack of respect and admiration for the word of God. I don't know. How, I don't know how far to dig into that. Let me say this. The enemy 
obviously he, he doesn't want you to come to church. He doesn't want you to encounter God. He don't want you to put on your worship and encounter God on your way to work. But listen, you can encounter God every, you can come here and encounter God every week, encounter God in your car and worship, and that can change your life. But if, but if the enemy can keep you from the word of God, he'll keep you bound. I don't care how many times you felt his presence, how many experiences you've had, how many ministries you encounter. If the enemy can keep you from the, out of the word of God, he can deceive you. He can tempt you. And guess what? If you don't have the word of God in you, he's going to eat you for lunch. He's going to say, yeah, go have another encounter, but keeps you out of the word because you need both. You need the spirit and you need truth because if you don't have the word of truth, how do you even recognize a lie? Man, I feel like preaching right now. It's see, what's, we, 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 we already know culture's confused right now. What's alarming me is there's a lot of Christians confused about some stuff they shouldn't be confused about. It's because you're in your feelings, bro. You're in your own thoughts. I thought you said Jesus Christ is Lord. Either Jesus is Lord or no one's Lord. He's not, there are some things, it's not up for debate. It's not up for opinion. It is written. And when, when the enemy tempted Satan, he didn't say, well, I feel, no, he said, it is written. Man, I'll tell you what, I'm convinced. I'm, I, I truly am convinced that one of the tactics of the enemy, especially for these younger generations, is to keep them out of the word of God. In Christianity and abroad right now, I don't have time, but the statistics are alarming. The Bible illiteracy is, is skyrocketing. And let me say this. When I say read the Bible, I'm not talking about reading the Bible just to know the Bible. Because the devil knows the Bible. You can know the Bible and not know the author. I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying you need to know the Bible because you need more information. I'm saying you need to know the Bible because that's how, that's one of the ways you get to know him. That's how he deposits truth. That's how you renew your mind. All right. Some people read the Bible and they get more religious, but other people get the, get, get in the Bible and they get empowered. And what I'm saying is this, you want to be the latter. You want to get in the word of God so that it can empower you so that it can equip you and so that it can renew your mind with the truth. Because man, I, I watch it all the time. I watch people get on fire for God and they love the Lord and they're, and, and, but, but the first sign of temptation, the first sign of trial comes and they're taken out, not, not because they don't have a sincere desire to follow God. It's because Satan saw a lack. Satan saw a lack of truth in them. And, and, and you got to have the truth because that's what else are you going to stand in in moments of adversity? What else are you going to stand in when you're being tested? All we have is the truth. Are you with me this morning? And by the way, when we talk about temptation, we need to understand we're not just talking about the sins of the flesh. We forget that one of the most powerful forms of sin, Satan, he may, you may not out there be committing sexual sin or murdering and all that, but guess what? If he can get you into the sin of unbelief, he's taking your purpose. See, that sometimes, see, for each and one of us, it could be a different temptation. But you have to understand, there's many types of temptations. Sometimes we focus on some of these others, which are important. But remember this, if he can get you to doubt God's word, if he can get you to doubt what God has spoken over you, if he can get you into unbelief and disobedience, he's already won. You may not even be doing anything crazy, but if he's got you in disobedience and got you not believing what God has spoken, he's already winning. I got to close. I'm still good. We're still good. This, the fourth thing he did, and I'm hurrying. 
Jesus didn't give Satan much of his time. This is so important. Please hear me. You know what I think one of the mistakes that Eve made? She engaged too long in the conversation. Listen to this. Jesus says in the gospels, speaking of Satan, he said he was a liar from the beginning. He's speaking about the garden. Jesus has already told us who Satan is. Listen, you don't need to find it out for yourself. Just believe him. He's a liar. In court, if they, you get caught lying, they throw, they throw your testimony out, right? And nothing else you say from that point forward is credible. But for some reason, we want to entertain this liar, right? And, and see, here's, what, here's what's interesting. Is that when, when, when Eve is engaging, you see the longer the conversation goes on, then the apple starts to look nice. But I like how Jesus handles Satan. Satan comes with a temptation. It is written. There's no debate here. There's no conversation. I'm not arguing with you. I don't have anything to prove to you. I'll tell you what. You want to talk? Let's talk. Here's some word. Boom. It is written. Now go away. That's why when he gets to the last temptation, he says, Satan, it is said. And then after he says it, he goes, now go away. See, you can't, you can't ignore the devil. Because Peter says to be vigilant, to be aware of how, of his schemes, how Satan works. You don't pretend like he doesn't exist, right? You got to be aware of what he's doing. But listen, you don't give him much of your time. Don't give him too much of your time. Are you with me? I love this. Jesus did not live in reaction to the devil. He lived in response to the father. He dealt with the devil when the devil showed up. Other than that, he was worried about his father. He said, I'm about my father's business. Stop living in reaction to the devil and live in response to the father. And when the devil comes around, don't have those conversations. You know what Jesus did when the devil came around? He spoke scripture. He rebuked him. He cast him out and he told him to get away. When Satan comes around, you got a couple of options. You, uh, you, you want to you come for a Bible lesson? You're going to get scripture. Or you want to go away or you want me to cast you out? You're not hanging around here. We're not having conversations. Stop giving him too much of your time. Amen. Number five, and this is my last point. If I can get some keys, here's the most important thing though, is ultimately Jesus had no desire for what the enemy was trying to sell. You remember he said this in John 14, 30. He said, the ruler of this world is coming for me. But Jesus said this, but he has nothing in me. Did you hear what I just said? Jesus said, he has nothing in me. See, this is a journey. It's a process. We're walking with the Lord. We're maturing. But let me tell you what Jesus is is really saying and this is the place that we are maturing in Christ this is the place we want to get to because James says but and I'm reading from the passion translation he says it's a person's own desires and thoughts that drag them into evil and lead them away into darkness James says evil desires when they're conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown brings death In other words, listen, where does sin come from? Temptation or the wrong desires? See, temptation is just the opportunity to sin. The real problem is the desires. James said, 
That's why he said when, when, when you're tempted, it's not God tempting you. It's, the, it's, the, it's your own thoughts and evil desires that are luring you away. So the ultimate key is this. That we, we, we so love the Lord, love his word, walk in his spirit. That God does such a transformation that he changes our very desires. That where you get to a point where the devil shows up. And where he had you the last time, this time he shows up. There's nothing in you that's going to connect with the temptation that he's presenting you. In other words, you've gotten to a place. It's not that your flesh isn't weak and it's not that things aren't appealing to the flesh. But you've gotten to a point in Christ where your desire to love God, your desire to do the will of God, your desire to obey God is stronger than your desire for sin. And there are times when the the Satan can show up and you can say, you know what? You may have had me a year ago, but where I'm at now, where I'm at right now, you don't have nothing in me right now. Come back later, bro. Try again right now. That's where you want to be, where God transforms your desires. It's not that your flesh isn't weak. It's not that you won't be tempted. But God has done such a work in you that you're at a place where your desire for the things of God are are all that you need to keep you away. You know why? Because you know what? When you're loving him, no one has to tell you, don't do this. Don't do that. Your love for God becomes, as it were, like a fire. No, I'm not. I could, but I'm not. You know why? Because this is too important to me. I love him. I desire nothing more. It's like the disciples when they came to Jesus, when, when, when they thought he was hungry at the well. And they said, have you eaten? And Jesus said, no, I'm full. And they said, well, what'd you eat? He said, my food you don't know nothing about. It's to do the will of the Father who sent me. There comes a point where what satisfies you is not the things of this world, but to actually have communion with the Father and to do his will. It actually becomes like food for your soul. It nourishes you. And that's why some of the temptations you'll, you'll see as you grow in Christ, they, they, they lose their appeal. Are you with me? What it really comes down to is this, is what are you, whatever you're continually feeding will show up when temptation comes. If you're in the presence of God daily, if you're in his word daily, if you're feasting on him, when temptation comes, guess what's going to come out of you? More of him because that's what you've been feeding on. But if you've been feeding your flesh and you've been, you've been following your appetites, you've been, you've been just following your eyes, you're, you're not walking by faith, you're walking by sight, and you've been just following the pride of life, what feels right, what you think is right, when temptation comes, you're toast. So what are you feeding on? What are you feeding on? Would you stand with me? Stand with me to your feet. Did this help anybody?